Welcome to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Thanks for listening. And today I'm joined by Reverend James Sproul. Reverend James, how are you doing today? I am blessed on a gray, rainy day. And uh, Reverend James is joining me via the phone from Tennessee. And uh, Reverend James is a pastor and evangelist who has been to our church here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene probably at least 24 or 25 times. I've lost count. But over the last 25 years, he has been here a ton doing in revival and One of the things I love about Reverend James is he always brings a fresh word from God. Um, So thanks for joining me today, Reverend James. Uh, Would you like to just start out telling about where you're from and about how you grew up? Well, I was born in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, My father was here going to Trebekah College at the time. And when I was about two and a half or three, we moved back to our roots in Alabama. So I grew up uh, in a rural county, Lamar County, Alabama. Uh, My father was a farmer. He farmed for a number of years. And I went to the first seven years of school, first through the seventh grade, at Millport, Alabama, my really favorite places. I have so many warm memories of growing up on a farm, raising cotton and corn, and uh, I always had a lot of chores to do, so I grew up working. In fact, people laugh at me when I tell them my first job, (laughs) I was a cowtail holder. (laughs) You've never heard of that one, have you? I'm not sure. If I have, uh, I'm not sure what it is. Well, what it was, we had a milk cow. We drank raw milk, and uh, my daddy would start to milk the cow, and she would have been out in the pasture and have a couple of birds all in her tail, and as he tried to milk her, she would try to swat flies and hit him on the head. So he would say to me, hey, boy, come here and hold this cow's tail while I milk. (laughs) And uh, people laugh at that, but I say that's the first job I remember as a little boy that I ever had that I did a a number of times, but anyway. So we lived there. My father bought this old farm when he got out of service, World War II, and we lived there for a number of years, and then we moved to Columbus, Mississippi, and that's where my father and mother were converted. They came to Jesus, and I saw a big change in their life. It was incredible. It so influenced me that I wound up going to church. And when I was 14, I had an incredible uh, experience, the new birth conversion. The Lord came into my life and changed everything. And so did my younger brother at the same time. We both were converted at the same time in the same revival service. That's why I believe in revival services. And so shortly after that, we moved back to Nashville, Tennessee, where my brother and I could go to a Christian school. So that's kind of where my roots are. And I cherish my roots so much these days, just thinking back on a grandmother that prayed for me faithfully 
And uh, I see the providence of God in the moves that we made to bring us back into his kingdom. It's a warm, wonderful memory. Reverend James, thank you for sharing that with me. And uh, you uh, kind of read my mind because uh, after you shared about being born in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and then moving back to your roots in Alabama, I was going to ask about your earliest memories of maybe realizing that there was a God or uh, maybe your first experience, and you shared that as being 14 years old and coming to Christ in a revival service, and also your brother coming to Christ at the same time. But also I know that uh, you love nature and being out in nature, so I'm wondering if there's, uh, especially growing up on a farm or outdoors a lot, I'm sure doing a lot of outdoors things, maybe if there's any experiences in the outdoors or growing up on the farm where uh, God really spoke to you about his greatness or anything like that. I do love nature. In fact, I say to people that I think I might worship God more with my eyes than I do with my hearing. I'm not musical. When God passed out musical talent, uh, evidently I wasn't there. (laughs) I love music, and I worship with music, and I praise God for that. But in the last three or four years of my life, I've been thinking a lot about Uh, worship and what is worship what is true worship I know Jesus said they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth and and thinking about that I've always uh, appreciated so much God's creation from the smallest to the largest I remember as a little kid I would get some breadcrumbs and find an ant nest where you'd see a long trail of ants marching to the nest and trying to carry food back. And I'd put down some little crumbs, and I would watch those ants as they try to take pieces of that food back to their nest. I've always loved birds. I think for me, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And uh, when I think of the heavens and God's creation, I, I see it as creation as a museum. If I go into a museum and you have worked there, uh, a great painting or sculpture, and I admire that work and appreciate that work, how would that make you feel if it was your work? It would bless you that I recognized it and admired it. And I think it's sad that we have limited our worship to an hour on Sunday morning and a lot of people can't worship unless they have the right kind of music. It's got to be what they want it to be. And to me, that's sad because I go out a lot of times in the day, and sometimes I just lift my hands and I look up and I see a blue sky or I see a bird, and I worship the God who made that creation. And I think it's expanded my worship. I think that started with me when I was a child. I always loved nature. I lived outside. That's something that's so different from this time. Where I grew up, we had no radio. We had There was nothing to do in the house. For the most part, we went in the house to eat and to sleep, and in the winter, to stay warm. Right. But uh, I lived outside and played outside, and uh, I think that's one of the reasons I 
learn to appreciate God's creation so much. I've had a number of experiences in my life that I hope people will understand, whether they do or not. Uh, they're really special to me. I remember once, Grayson, I was in a hammock out in my yard, and I had my Bible with me, and I was laying there, and I was just saying, Lord, I really need you. I worship you. My heart was just hungry for his presence, and there was a longing in my heart for him. And a bird came and lit right above me and sang the most beautiful song I think I've ever heard uh, any bird sing. In fact, I know birds pretty well, but I didn't know what this one was. And uh, it was one of the special times of my life because I believe God speaks to us through nature if we will just listen and look and pay attention. It's not the only way he speaks, but I think it's pretty easy to see that that was true for David when you read the Psalms, when he talked about the heavens and the beauty of God's creation. Amen, Reverend James. Thank you for sharing that. And certainly uh, worship is in many different forms. And like you said, it doesn't just have to be on Sunday morning. It can be all throughout the week. And uh, it uh, can be through nature uh, it can be through music or it can be through other avenues, whether it be quiet time with Christ or whatever it might be. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, as you mentioned, the reason uh, that revival is so important to you is because you came to Christ for the first time in a revival. So maybe share about when Christ first called you into ministry and what that was like. Well, that was a, a long process that began before I even realized it. First of all, if I had known I would be a pastor and a preacher, as some people call teacher, it would have frightened me to death because it would have been the last thing on my list. I was so bashful in the eighth grade. I remember our assignment was to read a book and give an oral book report before the class, which was 25, 26 people. And I told the teacher that I would not do it. I would not get up in front of uh, that class and give an oral book report. And I finally convinced her that I was not going to do it. And she said, well, will you give it to me after class? <laughs> and I gave it to her privately uh, after class. To go from that to uh, being a preacher had to be God. I do remember when I was a young boy, probably eight or nine years old, going to a church service. In fact, it was a family camp service in the summer with some other kids, and I guess people would have thought I wasn't paying attention. But I remember having a strange feeling when I looked up front and saw the preacher at the pulpit, thinking that someday I would do that. Well, I dismissed that. I thought, that's ridiculous. I won't talk to 20 people. And so after I became a Christian and we moved back to Nashville and I started to grow in my faith, I increasingly felt the call to preach and teach God's Word. And uh, I told the Lord that I would be willing to do it, but I had to know for certain I could not enter the ministry with any kind of doubt whatsoever. So I talked with a couple of uh, 
Christians that I admired, a minister who was older and a teacher and professor, and, and they encouraged me. It wasn't just a snap decision. It was a growing compulsion in my life. And the final straw was I was in a revival service, and I remember they asked for a time of prayer. And in those days, it wasn't uncommon for people to kneel in a church service to pray. And I was kneeling down to pray, and a scripture came in my mind in Ezekiel, and it was actually, I had no idea what it was. It was a scripture reference. It just popped in my mind. And so while they're praying, I'm looking up the scripture in Ezekiel, and when I find it, it is Ezekiel's call to preach. And it reads like this, And he said unto me, Son of man, go get into the house of Israel and speak to them with my words. And when I read that, it's like God marked it with a yellow marker, like I knew that God was saying that to me. And uh, so I took that experience to one of the professors that was kind to me and gracious and trying to guide me in my call. And I remember he said, well, James, it looks like to me you're called to preach and said, you ought to start preaching. Don't wait till you finish school. Start now. Mm -hmm. And so I guess within two weeks of that, I went with a group of Christians to the county jail and spoke to, a, I don't know, five or six men who were in jail. And because I had no one in my family who was a minister, for a couple of years, I spoke anywhere I could. I spoke on the street corner. I preached at jail every Sunday, faithfully, or tried to, I should say. But once I did it, the ultimate confirmation was, even though I didn't know how to preach or even how to study to preach, when I got up to do it, something happened inside. There was a connection with God's heart that I didn't even understand myself, but I knew I couldn't stop. I had to keep going. And a funny thing happened, Jason. In the midst of all of this, I take a vocational guidance test when I am entering college because I started preaching literally at 16 years of age. Right. So I take a vocational guidance test and answer all the questions honestly, and I go in to see the professor, and I remember exactly what he said to me. He said, well, James, it looks like to me you should be a chicken farmer. <laughs> That's hilarious. Love that story. <laughs> so here I am. My vocational guidance test says I should be a chicken farmer, but God says I should be a preacher, pastor, teacher. And uh, that just reminds me, God picks the least of us to mm -hmm. preach, you know. He chose fishermen to right. be apostles. So it's no wonder that he would pick a chicken farmer to proclaim his word. God has a sense of humor to pick me to be a preacher, that's for sure. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. I was hoping you would share that story, Reverend James. And uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about a saying that I heard one time about how God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And any advice that you would have 
if somebody's listening who may be struggling with a call to ministry or might think, you know, I'm not qualified for that or I don't have those skills, just any advice as far as, you know, if the Lord's tugging on them and just from your experience in that? Well, I would say if you feel like your call, some people think they've got to wait until they get prepared, you know, I really am so grateful that this professor at the Christian school where I was going said to me when I was first called, don't wait till you finish school. Now, he was not saying don't go to school, but he was saying if you're called, the time to start is now. And uh, so I just went where the door was open. So my thing is, if you think you're called, share that call with people you have confidence in, discuss it with them. Let them affirm it and get out there and do it. It doesn't have to be a large congregation, you know, just do it because it really is true. God calls people who know they're not qualified, I think. I think if you think you're qualified, uh, that probably disqualifies you because the ministry is bigger than we are. And it's, you know, we can't do it without the anointing and his touch in our lives. That makes all the difference in the world. But I would say to anyone that thinks you're a call, take your time and pray. The call won't leave if God has truly called you. It will be a growing uh, impression. Uh, Share it with a couple of people that you know and trust and let them affirm it with you. And uh, I believe the best decisions we make, Grayson, are not spur of the moment. There are decisions that we pray over and we take time. God's not in a hurry. And it's an important because ministry is tough. It's always been. It is today. And there are so many temptations and discouraging moments. And the thing that will get you through those moments is the certainty of your call. If God called you, then uh, that's what takes you through the difficult times. Amen. Thank you, Reverend James, for sharing that. What great advice about listening to the Spirit's leading and direction, and also to those, like you said, that professor that you had in college that you believed in and who believed in you and spoke those words of affirmation to you about God's call and kind of affirmed it. Now, I mentioned that you had been to our church here at Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene about 24 or 25 times over the last almost 25 years. But also, I was thinking as you were talking that I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the first church that you ever pastored was Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene on Roosevelt Street. So if you want to share anything about that and uh, about that year that you were here serving. Actually, it was the second church. I graduated in 1962 from college with a major in religion and a minor in Christian education. I pastored church five years in North Carolina and then received the call to come to Harrisonburg, and we loved Harrisonburg. At the same time, I was thinking about going back to uh, school, going to seminary, working on my master's degree. I came to Harrisonburg and was struggling with that, but uh, it was a wonderful year. Harrisonburg was always a special place to me, and... uh, Anyway, after a year in Harrisonburg, I felt like I should get some more schooling. I think that was important at the time for me. After I had been a pastor, I kind of 
realized then what I needed from school. And so I resigned the church and we moved to Kansas City where I attended the Nazarene Theological Seminary, which was a good experience in some ways and a difficult experience because I had two children. But uh, I know this, that one of the main things school teaches you is how much you don't know. Right. <laughs> that's, a, that's an important thing about a good education. You realize that there's so much you don't know. And I have committed myself to a life of learning. I believe you never stop learning. And there are some of my friends that don't understand why at 80 years of age, and I will be 80, why am I still going and preaching and teaching? And I think it's because I'm committed to a life of learning and never going stale. Mm-hmm. In fact, I have my own way of putting it. You know, when you pour jello in a mold, it's a liquid, and you can mold it. You can mold it as a star or any shape you want. But once that jello sets up, that's it. <laughs> and I say that, you know, for some of us elderly people, the jello is set up and you can't do anything with it. But I am committed to learning the last day of my life. And uh, I think that is one of the keys to staying fresh and being able to communicate with uh, every generation that, you know, my prayer is, Lord, let me bring your heart to your people. It's not about James Brewer, and that's really the truth, man. It's not about me. I'm just a voice, and uh, I pray all the time, Jesus, I want to bring your heart to your people. And I think that keeps you contemporary and in touch with any generation. You know, Grayson, one of the biggest blessings I ever had in coming to Harrisonburg might surprise you, but uh, the pastor used to have people write notes on the last night of the services that we did there, and I would get a big stack of notes, just notes. Uh, People could say anything they wanted to say, and so Mary and I would head home, and she'd pull out the notes and start reading them to me, and they all blessed me, but the ones that were really special were the notes that I got from young people, even children. And to think as an older man that God would enable me to connect with young people and children, yeah. that, that was just really special. And I think the only reason that happens is because if we stay contemporary in our relationship with God, that age doesn't have anything to do with it. In, in, in fact, you know, if you're just trying to connect people with God instead of yourself, and that's been the desire of my heart and life, and that's the reason I'm still going. You know, I just got back from Haiti. I've been going to Haiti for 35 years or more, I guess, and uh, my goal is to teach in Haiti at 80. That's great. And I'm already scheduled to go back to Haiti in October, so I will have reached that goal, God willing. In October of this year, uh, I'll teach in Haiti at 80, and that has been a really rewarding experience in my life. And I'll be back up in the, the Virginia come April to uh, a couple of different places in the state to speak. But anyway, I love the state of Virginia. I feel like it's my second home. I've been there so much. 
Well, Reverend James, thank you for sharing. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Haiti. I was actually going to ask you about Haiti because I know that you've been going there for a number of years and been ministering to the people there. And uh, I mentioned earlier that you're retired. You're only retired from pastoring a church, but you're not really retired. As you mentioned, you go and speak different places in revival and you still go to Haiti once or twice a year and minister to the people there. So anything else? How many years have you been going to Haiti? Some highlights of your ministry there in Haiti. More than 35 years. I started out years ago in the church I pastored. I was praying, and I've always felt like the church has to have a threefold ministry. Jesus said, go into all the world, and he talks about Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost. And I always see that as Jerusalem is what you do at home in the church. Samaria is what you do across the state or some distance away. And the uttermost is out of the country, other places. And so I remember praying, Lord, I want to be connected to mission somewhere in the world, and I don't know where it is, but if you will link me, uh, I will help uh, the best I can the rest of my life. And within two weeks of that prayer, I made a connection to Haiti, and uh, finally uh, had a Haitian friend who was my brother, who was started a ministry there and needed help, and he came and visited me, and then I took a group and went to Haiti and uh, said after that trip that I was committing to helping Haiti for the rest of my life. And uh, it's been a wonderful thing to be a part of one place. I believe in missions, and a lot of people go to many different places for a week or two. But I was convinced for me, God wanted me to go to the same place. And the result of that is to build relationships, uh, to really get to know the culture and uh, by going back again and again and developing friends. And uh, I always say that I leave a part of my heart in Haiti. I've had so many experiences. In fact, my son and I hopefully are about to wrap up a book we're writing, and the title of it will be Reflections of Our Journey. And I'm putting in that book a lot of Haitian stories and they're stories where God taught me lessons that I needed to know and taught me about his faithfulness. It has enriched my life. I cannot imagine my life without Haiti. And I think it's one of the reasons I'm still going. I'm not finished in Haiti yet. Amen. Amen, Reverend James. I say amen to that. Uh, as Dad says, the rest of our days are the best of our days. And uh, certainly uh, longevity is important. And you've proven that, whether it be going to Haiti for over 35 years or coming here for 24, 25 years straight. And uh, anything in closing just in the last minute or two that you would like to share that I haven't asked you about already? I would just like to say thanks to Harrisonburg and to First Church of the Nazarene there, to your dad, who's probably my dearest ministerial friend. And I think about the church in Harrisonburg and the city, and I love the city and the place, and the people at Harrisonburg, uh, if I live within driving distance, it would be my home church because we've been there so many times and people have been so good to us and gracious. And I would just ask that uh, they pray for me and for Mary and for my family and that God will continue to use me however he chooses. And I thank you, Grayson, 
for the wonderful ministry that you have. God bless you for hearing and obeying God. Only heaven and eternity will reveal the significance of what you do. Thank you, Reverend James, for that encouragement, and thank you for joining me for today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I'm just going to say a quick prayer for you and Mary and your family in closing. Lord, I thank you for Reverend James Sproul's life and for his testimony and for him and Mary, and I just pray a blessing over them and that you will continue to use them as I know you will, Lord, and to continue to use them to bless others' lives and to be a witness to those around them, whether it be in Tennessee or uh, in other places uh, in Virginia where James is going to speak, or whether it be in Haiti, uh, wherever you want to use him, I pray that you would do that. And uh, I thank you for his life and Mary's life and pray a blessing over them and their family. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, brother. God bless you, too. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Front Porch Talks. I pray that Reverend James Sproul's testimony has been a half hour of hope for your life. May God bless. Front Porch Talks is sponsored by Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene in partnership with Sunshine Ministries.